when there are earthquakes and wars, deceivers will come. And they will come with a message. Hitler's the Antichrist. Napoleon's the Antichrist. Some will say that uh, the leader of North Korea, uh, the rogue nation with the nuclear bomb, is the Antichrist. And what are these? They are disturbers of the peace of God's people. The world's not going to be destroyed by a nuclear bomb. No way. The Lord's on the throne. He's reigning. And he restrains Satan. As I mentioned last week, if Satan had his way, we wouldn't be here. Welcome to Let the Bible Speak, and I trust that you're enjoying the series on the second coming of the Lord Jesus. Today we'll be looking at the last days, those days when the Lord will reign in His church. Now, there is the long-term view and the short-term view of this. The short-term view is that the last days refer to that short period of time close to the end of the world. Or the long-term view is that the last days refer to the whole period of time from the first coming of our Lord Jesus unto the last or the second coming of our Lord Jesus. And those are the last days. There will never be another uh, major category of period of time and that the Lord will accomplish everything in his church during that time. That's referring to the last days. Let's turn to Matthew 24 today just to read about those, the warnings that are given to us in the church during the period of time before the Lord returns. And it says, and except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Then if any man shall say unto you, lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Behold, I have told you before, wherefore, if they shall say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert, and go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chambers, believe it not. For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. And they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from the one end of heaven to the other. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branches yet tender and putteth forth leaves, ye know that summer is nigh. So likewise ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. 
But of that day and hour knoweth no man, know not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark. So shall the coming of the Son of Man be. There will be no warning, but these are the last days. Stay tuned with us as we let the Bible speak today on our message on the last days for the church on earth. That's exactly how this world has been since the Lord spoke those words. Wars, rumors of wars, pestilences, famines, earthquakes. Almost every generation has suffered some catastrophe or other. Local floods, local earthquakes, armies ranging across the nations, great nations clanging against each other, seeking the ascendancy. The Lord says, these are not signs of my imminent return. These are signs that the end is not yet. The end is not yet. And then, as if the ears of his disciples were close to this, he said in verse 8, all these are the beginning of sorrows. And isn't it strange how many don't pick up on this? And they go through life thinking that the most recent catastrophe in the world is a sign the Lord's returning. But it's not. What the Lord was doing here, he was preparing his disciples and his church for a long struggle. A long struggle. He talks about deceivers in these verses. False Christs will appear. 
seeking to deceive many. And you'll note in verse 9, persecution. They shall deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Offense and betrayal and hatred and false prophets, verse 11. And then verse 12, apathy, the love of many will wax cold. And how the church has gone through those periods. And perhaps we're in such a period right now that because the, the iniquity abounds, as in our nation, many people are apathetic. Many people who even profess the name of the Lord says, well, why bother? What's the use? But the Lord gave these words to say, don't think things will be out of control when these things happen. Don't think that I'm not reigning. Don't think that I have abandoned the church on the earth. But rather, these are the things that you must prepare for, that you must expect on the long term. And then in verse 14, the gospel will be preached into all the world for a witness unto all nations. And as if again uh, the disciples weren't catching the message, he said, and then shall the end come. So here is a great missionary program. And here are the wheat and the tares side by side, the tares seeking to do their evil work, but the wheat growing, seeking to bring forth a harvest. The missionary work of the church goes on side by side with the evil in the world. And in the face of persecution, opposition, apathy, the church mandate continues to reach the nations of the world with the message of the gospel. Then shall the end come. And so date setting is wrong. We can't set dates because of pestilences and famines and earthquakes and wars and so on. Date setting is totally wrong. These things are not given for us to set dates, but rather to be strong and stable in the midst of turmoil in the world. When these things happen in the world, we're to take comfort. This is exactly how the Lord said it would be. If the Lord had taught an imminent return that he would return in the days of his disciples, we would have to say the Lord didn't keep that promise. That's not what the Lord was saying. He was saying here, the end will come when the program of reaching the nations is fulfilled. Now, I don't know if that means every single person will hear the gospel in every single tribe and nation and people in, the in our earth, but there's still work to be done. Date setting is wrong. And the very form of deception which the Lord was warning about, when there are earthquakes and wars, deceivers will come. And they will come with a message. Hitler's the Antichrist. Napoleon's the Antichrist. Some will say that uh, the leader of North Korea, uh, the rogue nation with the nuclear bomb, is the Antichrist. And what are these? They are disturbers of the peace of God's people. The world's not going to be destroyed by a nuclear bomb. No way. The Lord's on the throne. He's reigning. And he restrains Satan. As I mentioned last week, if Satan had his way, we wouldn't be here. There'd be no church in Cloverdale or any other part of the world. He would destroy it. But the Lord restrains. Satan is bound in these last days. 
We're in this now millennium. We are enjoying the reign of our Lord Jesus. But he did warn us that there will be a long-term struggle of good and evil, opposition, persecution, deceivers, and we're to get busy in the great mandate of reaching the world. That's why the Lord has us here, that we may be a part of that missionary endeavor. We move on to point number two. Every generation of Christians will face opposition from the wicked. Well, do I need to preach that tonight? No, I won't. I'm going to leave the notes with you. I think it pretty much speaks for itself. Every generation will have opposition. And you know that that helps me as a pastor. This is not just theory. This is not just highfalutin theology. This helps me as a pastor. Here we are in Western Canada. Here we are 25 years after preaching, seeking to raise up the testimony of the gospel. Should we be discouraged that we don't have a, a crowd? Should we be discouraged that we don't have one of the largest churches in the city? Did the Lord not warn us that as men treated him, they will treat us? And if we're faithful to the gospel, we will have the wrath of men. Deceivers will come. We've been subject to these things. Should we be discouraged? Is this not exactly the picture the Lord painted? That every generation would face trouble and persecution and discouragement. You know, discouragement is the reason why many pastors and church leaders give up. They get to the point where they say it's no use. Have you been there? I've been there. I've been there. But as I come back to my Bible, as I read uh, not only this passage, but other such passages, it stirs my heart to realize that's what it means by taking up the cross of Christ. That's what it means by entering into the sufferings of the Lord Jesus, as we learned in Philippians 3.10. This is entering into what the Lord warned us about. We'll move to point number three now. With this long-term view of the Lord's return, we have a motivation to holiness and godliness to every nation. We're motivated to endure, to raise our families, to teach new converts to prepare themselves for Christian service. And how are we going to prepare them? Are we going to prepare our children and say, if you be a good Christian, you'll always be happy? Let me tell you, that's what young people are fed today. That's what they expect. I called it this morning the soup can notion of Christianity. Everything is ultra-convenience. Let me tell you, if you're teaching that to your children, you are destroying them. And there are parents who make idols out of their children, and they don't want them ever to have to suffer. They don't exhort them to prioritize in the things of God at the expense of the world. In fact, they train them to put the world first and spiritual things second. What are they doing? They're raising a generation of wimps who, when persecution comes and trial comes, will accept the grace of God. We can't rule out God's grace. 
We can't rule out what the Spirit of God may do. But if we do that as parents, we're not helping our children. In Romans 8, 17, the great promise is, if we suffer with Christ, we shall reign with Him. That's a great text, and it's a great truth, and it's a reality. It's a reality. This long-term view of waiting and watching for the Lord's return in the midst of a world of opposition, it puts backbone into a Christian. Whereas if we say, oh, it doesn't matter, the Lord may return tomorrow or tonight. Now, I understand in evangelism, some people think it's, you know, very motivational to say to an unconverted person, you better be saved, the Lord could be coming tonight. But to keep saying that to a Christian loses all motivation. What we ought to be doing is persevering, preparing ourselves and the generation to come because we do not know the hour of the Lord's return. And those things that people say are signs of the Lord's return, well, 99.9% .9 of everybody's been wrong. They've been wrong. And so, this long-term view motivates him face to face and tell the story saved by grace and I shall see him face to face and tell the story listening to Let the Bible Speak, and this message is a part of our series on the second coming of the Lord Jesus. We're dealing today with the last days, the days when the Lord will govern, reign, rule in His church, and bring great glory to His wonderful name. If we can be of any personal further help, feel free to be in touch with us here. If you would like to go to the notes that we're referring to, receive the archived sermons, or questions answered, feel free to go to our website, and there you will have the information to be in touch with us and receive these items. So go to the website at www.cloverdealfpc.ca. We look forward to hearing from you, and I trust that these messages will be a blessing. We return now to part two of our message today. The church shall triumph. One of the best illustrations I found of this is that the church today is living between V-Day and D-Day. When Europe was occupied by Germany, 
and the Allied forces landed on the beaches. That was D-Day. That was the day that the reclaiming of Europe began. And it really was the day when Nazism was finished. And little by little, the Allied forces advanced across Europe and they reclaimed occupied nations. But victory could not be claimed, of course, until Nazism was totally wiped out. We are now between D-Day and V-Day. The Lord has begun the work of saving his people and building his church. And that victory day is the day when he's going to come and he's going to destroy Satan. We read in Revelation 20 that he will be loosed for a little season and then will be the battle of Armageddon and then the Lord will destroy Satan. The Lord will destroy him. It'll be the intervention of the Lord that will destroy the wicked one with the brightness of his appearing. And that will be the final victory of the church. I was reading a book recently about Holland under occupation. It was tough, especially in the last winter when food was most difficult to find. People were hiding Jews in their attic spaces. There was an underground movement that was really being crushed more and more and becoming very ineffective, although they did supply certain information and help to pilots that were down and so on. They, they did do a marvelous work, but their effectiveness was seemingly hopeless. And they would hear on the radio announcements that D-Day has begun. The Allied forces have advanced to a certain point of France and Holland, and everybody would be saying, it's only a matter of time. And we're in this holding condition until we are fully liberated. That's the picture of the Christian. It's not easy being a Christian in this world. It seems that we are under occupation of the enemy at times. It seems that evil is advancing and progressing and being rewarded in this world. But we know that the great deliverance is coming and all the wicked will be destroyed. Now, in your notes, you'll notice this is page five in your notes. I'm not sure if your notes are no, sorry, your notes are not numbered the same as mine. It will probably be page, the end of page three or beginning of page four. Uh, you'll notice that this is a motivation for holiness. Why should Christians live godly and holy? Why should we purify ourselves? Because we have this hope in us. And while things are hard and difficult, I want to be ready for that glorious day of the Lord's appearance. It's a motivation for happiness. And boy, do we ever need that in the Christian life. Where is the happiness of the church today? It seems that the hallelujah victory sound is very lacking. Where is the church with the, the amens of God's people with the blessed assurance in their souls? This doctrine brings rest from pain, from the temptations of sin, and even from death itself. And tomorrow when we stand around an open grave to see a beloved sister laid in the earth, it's not the end. The Lord is coming. And it seems that death has done an awful work to destroy the life of a beloved. But resurrection's coming. And then as a motivation for service, we have meaning to life's history. 
Now, I don't have time, and I know that endurance is probably gone. We have more perspiration in this meeting than we have inspiration. So uh, we have to get straight to the point here. And it's this, that with this doctrine that the Lord has told us, there's going to be a long period of time when the church will suffer and endure and go through difficulties. And as I was rejected, you will be rejected. As I was persecuted, you will be persecuted. This now gives purpose to the history of the church. I was reading that the Greeks had a totally different idea of history. They had a circular view of history. Everything goes round in circles. And then you're at this starting point, and the struggle goes on and on and on. You end up just back where you started. And in the notes, you'll, you'll read about a story of this uh, city of, um, what's the name of the city um, that was um, Oran. It was overrun with rats. And the people exhausted themselves to scurry these rats out, get rid of them. And after they had fought, they had initial victory. They came to the problem, ah, but the rats will be back. That's the circular view of Greek, the Greek world and philosophy. Many people hold to that today. Reincarnation would be in the same scope and same sphere, that everything's just cyclical. And it goes round and round. That's hopelessness. And, of course, it abandons all human responsibility. The Christian view is that this world is right on a straight course, on a period to a point in time only known by the Lord when He is going to liberate His church, when He's going to wrap up all the affairs of these nations, and God is going to receive the worship of His people. I like that. That gives me something to get up for in the morning. That gives me something to be a pastor of a Christian church. Why give my life to preach the gospel? Because there's purpose. And while there are struggles and sometimes defeats and discouragements in the midst of it, we're pressing on to the great goal. And the Lord may not come in my lifetime, but the work, the worship, the witness that we raise for the Lord now is a part of the machinery of God building His church and saving His people. And so we press on. We're waiting for that victory day. I'll leave you with this last verse where the Lord Jesus said, Fear not, for I have overcome the world. He's reigning. The Lord Jesus couldn't say that if He wasn't reigning. The Lord Jesus couldn't say that. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but fear not, for I have overcome the world. Yes, this takes the fear away. It brings peace to the believer. It fills our hearts with peace. We call this the long-term view of the Lord's coming, the last days, the now millennium view. It all sort of ties in and synchronizes here. You are listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of the Free Presbyterian Church in Canada. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. If you missed part of today's program or would like to hear it again, you can find it archived by program date on our website. Just go to 
ltbs.ca, CA for Canada. There you can read my blog, find my Bible study notes, audio and video sermons, as well as helpful articles. Or you can go to our podcast on iTunes. We're on the air Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our full church broadcast, and Monday to Friday, 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. on this station to bring you the gospel from our free Presbyterian church here in Cloverdale. We also invite you to our church services on Sundays, 10.30 and 6 p.m. Through our website, you can listen and view to our online services at 10.30 and 6 p.m. Make it your Sunday worship. Click on the Live Now button on the homepage of our website. Or if you would like to talk with me one-on-one as a pastor, please give me a call. The phone number is 604-897-2040. The mailing address is 187 9058 Avenue, Surrey, BC, V3S1M6. We're located just two blocks north of Number 10 Highway on 188th Street. Our website again is ltbs.ca. You can join us Monday to Friday, 5 a.m., 5 p.m., here on this station as we let the Bible speak. Music